0: We visited a derelict hotel in Las Vegas and discovered why they call it Sin City by Sugar Soad. My brother Johnny and I have drifted apart over the last number of years, so I was honestly surprised when I received an invite to a stag party. I was very hesitant about attending, but my wife convinced me that I should go. I was a little bit excited as I'd never been to Las Vegas before and I couldn't wait to visit some of the famous casinos. I arrived at the address that was noted on the invite and was annoyed when I discovered it was a strip club. I spotted my brother sitting in a corner surrounded by a bunch of guys whom I'd never met before. The only person I recognized was his best friend, Mark, who openly hated me. I walked over and reached out my hand to shake Johnny's hand. He just looked at it and turned his face away. The rest of his friends were smirking as I stood there looking like an idiot. I should have left then and there, but my pride wouldn't let me. Mark stood up and announced that we were moving to another location, and everyone quickly followed him out the doors. I had no choice but to follow them, as I didn't want to stay in the strip club. We walked along for the next twenty minutes with me in the rear. The buildings on either side of us were less glamorous, and many of them appeared derelict. We eventually stomped outside a casino that looked like it hadn't been open in years. Mark knocked on a door at the side of the building, and it was quickly opened for us. I stood outside the building as everyone else sauntered in, as I had a sickening feeling that death and misery awaited us inside. I walked inside against my better judgment and followed the others as we were ushered toward an elevator. The elevator opened on a large room that had a giant bed that was covered in naked bodies, writhing in pleasure. I stood there, with my mouth hanging open, staring at the mass of people having wild, passionate sex in front of us. One of the guys in the group quickly undressed and ran forward to join the orgy. He let out a moan of pleasure as he inserted himself into a willing hole. Within seconds, He began letting out a blood-curdling scream and began thrashing about on the bed. His eyes rolled back into his skull and he collapsed on top of the woman. The attention of everyone on the bed turned toward us and I could feel myself shrinking away from their gaze. They lunged forward in a lethargic set of movements. I let out a gasp as I realized their bodies were stuck together and were one massive pile of flesh. We began backing away as it began creeping toward us. I could hear someone frantically pressing the elevator button, but it wouldn't open. My eyes darted around the room and I spotted an exit. I shouted at the others and sprinted across the room. I pushed the doors open and was relieved to see stairs leading downwards. The others quickly followed me in and we slammed the door behind us. Something began hammering on the door, and we flinched away as the door began to buckle beneath its weight. We fled down the stairs with myself and another guy at the front of the group. I slid to a halt as the guy in front of him suddenly vanished out of sight. The others crowded into the back of me as I desperately held them back. My heart was pounding in my chest as I gazed down into the hole where the steps should be. I could see the guy who had been leading the group inside. His body was paled on dozens of spikes that had been stuck into the ground. No one said a word as we stood in the stairwell trying to figure out the best way to get out of here. None of us had any phone service, so we couldn't call for help. I pushed past the others and went up a floor and found a door leading back into the building. I told the others, and we decided to stick together and try to find a way out. We pulled open the door to discover a well-lit hallway, with doors on either side. We cautiously moved forward while huddling together. I froze in place in front of the door and watched two of the most beautiful women I'd ever seen in my life beckoning me to come inside. I had taken a couple of steps forward before shaking myself out of my daze and stopping. I yelled at the others to look away, and. They all turned toward me with the same disoriented look on their faces. One of them must not have heard me as he walked into one of the rooms. Chains shot out of every corner of the room and latched onto his body. He began screaming and pleading with us to help him as the chains began to tear at his flesh. I managed to turn my head away in time as his limbs were ripped off of his body. Blood-soaked torso fell to the floor. Pandemonium ensued as the rest of us fled down the hallway toward the far end. I stared straight ahead as I didn't want to get enticed by the woman who occupied each room. I pushed open the door at the end to discover another stairwell. We stopped to catch our breath, and I was relieved to see Johnny made it. But we had lost another person during our escape. We cautiously made our way downward and found another hole in the floor. None of us wanted to go back through the building, but knew we had little other choice. This hallway was lined with people facing away from us. They stood motionless as we inched forward toward them. I stopped dead in my tracks as I passed the first one as its eyeballs had been torn from its sockets. Blood was cascading down its face, which made it look like it was crying blood. One of the others swore under his breath when he saw it. The creature lunged toward him and began shrieking. I tried to signal to him to stay quiet, but he was too panicked to listen. The creature lifted him off the ground with his hand while forcing its other hand into his eye socket. His body began spasming uncontrollably as both his eyeballs were plucked out and quickly devoured. His body was unceremoniously dropped to the floor and he lay there in a heap. After a few seconds, he stood up and lined up amongst the other eyeless creatures. I locked eyes with the others and motioned for them to remain silent and they all nodded in agreement. We moved single file down the center of the hallway as our eyes darted from side to side in case one of them moved. We had almost reached the far end when someone's phone went off. The creatures lunged at us en masse and I was forced to dodge numerous grasping hands. I managed to force a gap through the creatures and rush past them to get to the far doorway. Only Johnny, Mark, and myself and another person had managed to get through. The creatures seemed content to stay in their hallway and thankfully didn't follow us. We were all too exhausted to move, so we tried to get some sleep. I tossed and turned for a while before, dreaming of falling into an endless abyss. I awoke a short time later to see the others sitting there quietly. We all looked terrified as we all knew that we might not make it out of this alive. I urged everyone to start moving as waiting around. I urged everyone to start moving as waiting around was just going to make it harder for us to move. We stopped a short distance ahead as we could hear something large moving around below us. It was letting out a growl that made every hair on my body stick out. It began sniffing the air and I could hear its footfalls as it began climbing the stairs towards us. I spotted a pair of crimson red eyes and knew this animal was anything but friendly. I began sniffing the air and I could hear its footfalls as it began climbing the stairs toward us. I spotted a pair of crimson red eyes and knew this animal was anything but friendly. I acted on instinct and ran inside the closest door as the others piled in behind me. I cursed my luck as we stood in a hallway that was pitch black. I considered going back out the door but changed my mind after hearing the door shake as whatever was in the stairwell tried to get in. I could hear the labored breathing of the others as we stood inches away from each other. I reached into my pocket and pulled out my phone as I could use the torch on it to guide us through. I shielded my eyes as the bright light blinded me momentarily. I shone it in front of us before quickly switching it off. My hands were shaking as I kept thinking of the smiling, skinless children that the light had illuminated. They'd been standing directly in front of us, and their smiles had widened when they'd seen us. I felt a tiny hand brush against my leg, and I had to stuff my fist into my mouth to stop myself from screaming. Dozens of hands began caressing my flesh as I tried my best to remain calm. Someone else wasn't as lucky as they began praying out loud. Their words were quickly replaced by screams as the children converged on them. I felt something wet spray across my arms and hoped that whoever they had killed hadn't been my brother. The sounds of them eating the flesh of whoever they had killed motivated me to start moving. I reached back and grasped someone's hand and placed it on my shoulder. Their grip was like a vice as I slowly moved forward. I ignored the hands that rubbed against my flesh. Every step was torturous as I was convinced that they would attack me at any moment. I was forced to stop on a couple of occasions as a cold, icy breath rushed my face. I collided with the far wall and began frantically searching for the door handle. I began to panic after a few seconds as I couldn't locate it. My wandering hands finally found the handle and I yanked open the door. I turned around to talk to whoever was behind me and to celebrate making it through my breath caught in my chest as I discovered there was no one there. My mind was reeling as I could still feel a hand on my shoulder. I mustered up the courage to reach up and pull the hand from my shoulder. I gazed down at the bloody stump that was covered in bite marks. I looked back inside the doorway as one of the children stood a short distance away, waving at me with the remains of someone's arm. I closed the door and began racing down the stairs as I could see the lobby down below. I ran outside and began celebrating as I would made it out alive. My wife keeps asking me what happened that night, but I refuse to tell her. Every night I lay beside her and try not to look at the pair of crimson-red eyes watching me from the corner. I was so proud of my wife for becoming an organ donor by Bat Alto. I was so proud of my wife when she added her name to the organ donor registry. It made me a little queasy thinking about parts of her roaming freely outside of her body. Still, I applauded her altruism. After she filed the paperwork, I didn't give it further thought. I assumed she'd outlive me, and that I'd never have to contemplate the subject again. But, life never works out how we expect. The year that followed the accident was extraordinarily difficult. I wouldn't wish the experience upon my worst enemy. I barreled through all stages of grief. I felt extreme degrees of emotion that I didn't realize existed. I went through therapy and did my best to reassemble a life built for two. I tried to recreate our little rituals. I visited our favorite restaurants, watched our cherished movies, and cried to our special songs. I'd spend hours sitting alone at our special spot. It was a grassy hill that provided a spectacular view of the entire valley. We used to watch the sunset here and hold hands like smitten lovers. Months went by. I persevered, I grieved, and I healed. I dreaded the one-year anniversary of her death. While I knew it was going to be difficult, the events of that night exceeded my expectations. That evening, I took my in-laws out for dinner. We reminisced about the good times and wept over the experiences we would never have. We hugged, said goodbye, and I drove home. I opened my front door to my pitch black apartment and turned the overhead light on. In front of me were six people, three men two women and a young girl. They all sat on kitchen chairs arranged in a straight line. And they all stared at me, smiling. Hello, I said. What are you people doing here? With a single, unified voice, they said. Hello, honeybear." The words sent chills down my spine. That was my wife's nickname for me. The last time I heard it aloud was exactly one year today. I'm calling the police if you don't leave right now, I shouted, fumbling with my phone. What's the matter? They all six said together. Don't recognize me? The synchronization of their voices was flawless. Even their mannerisms, the tilt of their head, the raised eyebrows, the pouting lips, it all perfectly lined up. I shuddered. I'd seen those unmistakable quirks on my wife's face countless times. Listen. Whoever you are, this is not a good night for bullshit. Get out. I understand that you may be uncomfortable with my appearance, the six said. But this is who I am now. What are you saying? Who are you? It's me, honey bear, your wife. I collapsed heavy onto my knees. I was already an emotionally fragile wreck. This was too much to bear. That's impossible! I shouted, slamming my fist to the carpet. This is a disgusting prank. Get out! Do you remember when I signed up to be an organ donor? You weren't comfortable with the idea, but you still supported me. What are you talking about? Each of the people you see before you contains a part of me. One by one, they all stood up, uttered a single word, and sat back down. Pancreas, liver, heart, intestine, lung. The little girl stood up last and said, Kidney. Wait. So you people all received my wife's organs. I am your wife, they said. There's no one else here. My brain couldn't process this much lunacy at once. The room started spinning and I collapsed to the floor. This is impossible. It's not impossible, they said, and I need your help. No, this isn't real. This is wrong. What can I possibly do? The doctors who removed my organs still have my brain and they're not respecting it. Every day I can feel them prodding and poking at it. feels like an electric shock and I lose control. Together, you and I, we shall take it back. How? I must be reassembled. The little girl stood up and walked toward me. She handed me a piece of paper. I need you to buy everything on this list. I looked at the list. A single, thick needle, a long spool of cotton twine, a set of heavy-duty brass chains, ten rolls of duct tape, gorilla glue, a large tarp, a canvas bag, and two flat-headed sledgehammers. What is all this for? I asked. They all stood up at once, and I felt six hands on my shoulders. Honey, you're going to have to trust me. I drove my truck to Home Depot and sped way over the limit to ensure I'd make it before closing. I tried to concentrate on the road, but focus evaded me as my mind somersaulted over the implications of what I just witnessed. I missed my wife dearly, and I would do anything to see her again. That being said, I was more than a little uneasy about my wife turning into three men, two women, and a little girl. Even though her speech was interpreted through a disturbing chorus of voices, it was still my wife. I had so many questions. How long had she been conscious for? How did she come back to life and control this flock of meat puppets? What's the purpose of this list? One question about the six people she controlled lingered uncomfortably at the back of my mind. Are they? still alive. I arrived at the Home Depot and sprinted inside. I grabbed one of their oversized shopping carts and went to work. I found everything on the list and I put it all in the back of my truck and raced home. I opened my front door and found the six of them still sitting on the kitchen chairs. Fantastic, they all said at once. Honey, can you turn on the backlight for me? They all stood up in unison and walked single file outside. I turned on the light and saw them standing in the backyard with the supplies I had just purchased. I was transfixed as I observed their gruesome labors. One of the men laid horizontal on the ground. He set his legs straight and placed his arms at his side. The little girl then tied his legs and feet together with the chains, clasping it shut. One of the other men laid down parallel to the first, and the little girl repeated the process. Then, the third man sat on the ground in front of their heads and positioned his arms and legs so that he was spread eagle. He shuffled toward the other men, and they reached up, gripping his legs. The little girl then proceeded to use the long needle and twine to sew the men together. I winced as I watched the sharp metal pierce into the meat of the men's flesh. They didn't even flinch. I approached this grim spectacle. What are you doing? Isn't it obvious? They all said at once. I'm attaching my legs to my torso. The two women then approached the man torso, and feet first, they placed themselves in line with the men's arms. The little girl then repeated the process. She chained their legs together and sewed them securely onto the torso man's arms. The woman lifted their arms over their heads, and the little girl dabbed the glue to their wrists and held them together to form a single, grasping, ten-fingered hand. The little girl surrounded the entire gestalt creation with a thick covering of duct tape. Finally, she took the canvas sack, strung it around the neck of the torso man, and hopped inside. She propped herself up top, giving the monstrosity a comically undersized head I recoiled and went limp as I saw the abomination stand up I was amazed by its flexibility the man's legs didn't appear to struggle with the weight and the woman's arms moved with surprising facility six bodies became the ultimate composite wife she looked like a gross fleshy Voltron sweetie The mouths said at once, Would you mind grabbing the sledgehammers and tarp and meeting me at the truck? The monster lurched forward, walked around the house, and disappeared from sight. He grabbed the sledgehammers and made for the truck. When I arrived, my wife was sitting upright on the truck's bed. She looked like a giant in an undersized lounge chair. Okay, kiddo. I needed to drive me to the University Research Hospital. That's where my brain is held. You want me to drive you? I stammered. Won't people see you? No, silly. That's why I asked you to grab a tarp. I pulled the tarp over them and tied it down. I put the two sledgehammers in the back seat and drove. It wasn't a long drive. By this point, it was well past 10 p.m. There were some people milling about, but... None reacted to an otherwise benign-looking truck. I parked in front of the hospital. There were some lights on, but no visible activity. We're here, I said and drew back the tarp. Perfect. You're the best, sweetheart. Do you mind passing me the sledgehammers? I handed her the two massive bludgeons and she grabbed each of them firmly with her ten-fingered hands. She lumbered over to the building's glass facade. She did not fit it, so she smashed her way in. Fifteen minutes later, she emerged from the shattered front entrance. She was covered in blood and bits of viscera. She no longer held the sledgehammers. Instead, she clenched a glass jar in one hand and a sheath of paper in the other. I've got it. Let's get out of here. She clambered in the back of my truck, and I stretched the tarp back over her. I heard sirens approaching as I sped away from the hospital. Ten minutes later, I felt convinced we weren't being followed. I heard a gentle tapping on the back window. Hey, sweetie, my wife said. Do you know what would mean a lot to me if we went to our special place? I knew exactly where she meant. The grassy hill that overlooked the valley. It was not far. When we arrived, we had the place to ourselves. I stopped the truck, tore back the tarp, and held my hand out to help my wife down. Thank you, sweetheart, for everything. She plopped her brain out of the glass jar and placed it securely in the sack with the little girl. I saw that she was still holding the handful of papers. What's all that? I asked. It's all the paperwork you need to set up an organ donation. I got it for you. For me? It worked for me. Maybe it'll work for you, she said. Each of her faces looked really hopeful. I wasn't sure if I liked where this was going. Don't I have to die first? I asked. We'll worry about that later, she said. She towered over me and gave me a gigantic hug. She surrounded me with her human arms and I felt the warm duct tape bodies of six people pressed against mine. Nothing else really mattered. I had my wife back. We sat together for hours, holding hands. I sat in her massive lap and we watched the sun rise together. I made the mistake of going to a new pizza place by Man and said, I received flyers in my mailbox for the new pizza place every week for the past month or so. First, introducing the grand opening, then advertising that they were open until 3 in the morning, and finally, the standard fare of special deals and promo codes. Though the $5 medium pepperoni was tempting, I was loyal to my local mom-and-pop shop, I've been going there for years, and I would never have considered cheating on them had I not had a sudden hankering for pizza at 2am one night. The new place was the only thing open in the suburbs. Given the circumstances, I figured I could be forgiven for my indiscretion, so I grabbed my keys and headed out. The parking lot was empty, with the light of pizza place acting as a beacon in the otherwise dark surroundings. Save for a gas station a few streets down, every other building was empty. And when I say empty, I mean with coming soon signs plastered on the windows, announcing their future tenants and little to no furniture inside. I'm sure it was fine in the light of day, but in the early hours of the morning, there was something eerie about the new development. It didn't feel lived in, probably because it wasn't they were connecting two suburbs that used to be separated by a forest and a highway in the last year or so they'd raised the forest to raise the buildings construction was nearing its end in a few months i had no doubt the place would be popping for now like i said there was just the pizza place i walked in and the industrial lighting stung my eyes forcing me to squint while they adjusted To its credit, the place was nice and clean, and it smelled amazing. I got a whiff of pizza and meat that had my mouth watering almost instantly. The place also had a semi-open concept. There was the order counter, and behind it, a wall spanning only two-thirds the length of the room, leaving door-wide gaps on either side. The wall had a large kitchen hole cut out of the center with two shelves lined with heating elements. You could see straight through into the kitchen, both through the hole or by taking a few steps to the side and peering through the gaps. There were the unusual pieces of equipment, like fridges, fryers, and ovens, but then there was the mother load. a ginormous conveyor belt oven. Think the little ones some hotels have where you put your bagel down and it slowly gets toasted before coming out the other end, only like so much bigger. It had to be the width of at least two large pizzas side by side. I craned my neck to get a better look, and that's when an employee scared the shit out of me. He just kind of appeared in my field of vision. Quiet bugger. The guy was young, maybe 18, either right out of high school or about to graduate. He was pasty white, with greasy hair and dressed in the store colors. He stared me down with laser focus, and without uttering a single word of greeting. After a prolonged silence, I said, Hello. The fingers on his right hand impatiently tapped his leg. I checked my phone to see if I was one of those annoying last-minute customers, but he still had another 45 minutes to his shift, so it couldn't be that. I figured I'd caught him in the middle of something. Can I get a large pepperoni bacon? I asked, pausing for him to punch it into the register. He did not. Instead, he kept his death glare on me. He was emanating pure irritation. And a side of curly fries, if it's not too late. It's fine if the fryers are off for the night, don't worry about it. Still, I got nothing out of him. Not an appreciative smile, not a nod of acknowledgement. Zilch. Maybe it was my English? Even in the mostly bilingual city, some people could be rude about it. I spun my finger around in circles while speaking to try and get the point across. He didn't react. So maybe he was high. I pointed at the cash register. You might want to, uh... He hit a few keys while never looking down. And then somehow simultaneously turned on his heels while also keeping his head angled toward me. I want to be clear, I'm not saying he dislocated his head to do this. He was kind of glancing over his shoulder, but the way he did it was so smooth, and while unnatural to see, seemed completely normal to him. He kept me in his sights as he walked down the counter around the gap and into the back, all without requesting payment. Maybe it was due on pickup. I lost sight of him somewhere around a corner. Uh Okay... I took a seat and looked out into the parking lot, feeling uncomfortably exposed. In contrast to the brightness of the pizza place outdoors, I could barely make out a distant house or treetops. I was basically a billboard for anything or anyone out there. It felt like at any moment a monster would slam into the window like a hockey player. I imagined demonic eyes stalking me from a distance, waiting to pounce as I walked back to my car. That or just as I reached safety, a clawed hand would grab me from beneath, slashing my ankle so I couldn't escape. My imagination became too vivid when I saw a pale white face in the window slowly approaching. Its features were melting off like cheese on a slice of pizza its hollow eyes drooping more and more with every step, like a latex mask melting off its wearer's face. It looked so real. I got goosebumps. I blinked, and it was still there. I realized the reflection could just have easily been someone inside. I turned around, but there was no one there, and I heard a door closing somewhere in the back. I let out a sigh of relief. Had my pizza even been made? If so, I wasn't sure if I had the stomach for it anymore. I hadn't heard anything from the kitchen since I'd gotten there. Pushing myself to my feet, I contemplated telling the kid I'd wait in the car, if only to get out of the bright light where I felt most vulnerable. Plus, I was kind of hoping it would nudge him into action, or that I could see him kneading my dough. I called out. Excuse me? There was no reply. And from my angle, no kid. I took a few steps closer and scanned what I could see of the kitchen. It was empty, with some pizza pans littering the floor, which I hoped would be cleaned up at closing time. More importantly, I hoped I wouldn't spy on the kid grabbing one straight from the ground and putting my za on it. Hey, kid, you back there? I held up my phone and pointed to it. I got a bail. I got a text. My wife's giving birth. I'm leaving cash on the counter for the trouble. My wife wasn't pregnant. Scratch that. I didn't even have a wife. But it was the first excuse that came to mind. I remember thinking this was what I got for being disloyal to my mom-and-pop shop. I pulled out my wallet, but before coughing out the dough... Pun intended. I wanted to check the oven. I can be a bit flip-floppy at times, I admit it. I thought I was overthinking things, and maybe my pizza was already baking, and the kid had just run to the bathroom. I mean, he had looked impatient earlier. Maybe I'd caught him right as he was about to have the biggest ass Pressing my hands on the counter, I boosted myself up to look into the conveyor oven. There was something in there, but it was way larger than a pizza pie, and it was slowly inching forward. I hate that I looked at him for so long without realizing what I was looking at. I hate the growing curiosity as the shape slowly emerged from the shadows, like a picture being printed one line at a time. I know... I was transfixed on it for a few minutes as he inched along. I know the image burned itself into my retina, even though I couldn't consciously make it out. That all changed when he reached the end of the belt and became bathed in halogen. The pasty kid, his face equal parts blue and roasted, rolled out of the oven and onto the pizza-serving platform. Most of his greasy hair had been singed off, his face was twisted in pain, his mouth agape as though he'd been screaming in terror, his fingers were wedged under a black tie around his neck, which had gotten stuck in the belt and held him in a chokehold. It couldn't have been for that long, as I'd only just spoken to him, but he looked long dead. I don't know how I'd even know the difference, I, I just did. I heard a crack as the belt turned over and headed toward the underside, pulling his neck along with it. I didn't know if the crack was the machine or his bones, I just know the way his head was dangling didn't seem right. This time the machine failed, not strong enough to pulverize a skull and pull it in the narrow space beneath it. I didn't realize I was running out of the store until the light turned starkly to dark. It was an out-of-body experience. When I think about it now, it's like I can see myself from a bird's-eye view running away, like I had no control over my movements or thoughts. I was consumed with terror. It wasn't until I was sitting in my car with the ignition on that I snapped back to my senses and called the emergency line. Firefighters were the first on the scene, as they typically are in the suburbs. I felt one of them gently pulling me out of the car and wrapping me in a foil blanket. They probably thought I was in shock. They were probably right. The police assured me it was an accident. It could have happened to anyone. One of them clapped a hand on my back and... And what was probably an attempt at making me feel better explained he'd likely suffocated long before he started roasting. Not sure if that really makes a difference. Here's the problem. The whole time I was there, it was dead quiet. I didn't have headphones on, I was fully alert. I never heard this kid scream or him knocking over pizza pans in his death throes. I never heard any commotion you'd hear from something like this. And I know I heard a door closing in the back. What's more, I later found that it takes 15 minutes for a pizza to bake. In other words, 15 minutes to go through the oven. I was at the pizza place for five, maybe six at most. I told my friends about what happened. One of them said, I probably saw the kid's ghost and maybe he was asking me for help. I don't think that's what it was. His impatient mannerisms, the silence, the almost predatory stare. I got the impression I was interrupting something, waiting for its meal. You don't expect creepy things to happen in new developments, but I guess they're just as susceptible. I'm going to stick to the mom-and-pop shop from now on. Hey everyone, if you enjoyed tonight's video, be sure to leave a like, and share it with someone that you think would enjoy these stories, or just any story on the channel, really. Also, a quick question relating to that final story. Have you ever tried human flesh? okay I'm kidding don't answer that please um, what I actually wanted to ask is where is your favorite place to get pizza is it somewhere like Domino's or Papa John's or Little Caesars or is it a little mom and pop shop like down the road somewhere that just has a special feel to it something special about it let me know now in the comment section below I'm a Domino's person myself but that's just me I'm being pizza is pizza. If we're being honest, let me know down in the comment section below. And remember, leave a like as well and share it with someone you think would enjoy. It helps out a lot. Hope you all have a wonderful day, afternoon or evening. And as always stay safe out there.